Welcome to Christians in the Public Square with your hosts, Cole Bennett and Scott Self. Hello, Scott. Hey, buddy. How are things where you are? Um, doing well. Doing well. I, I say that. I feel like nothing's going right lately. Um, <laughs> How just, so? Well, you know, uh, so I bought new couches. They were supposed to arrive yesterday. They're not going to come for another two months. Um, a lot of the stuff that's not going right for me is shipping related. Oh, right. I'm telling yeah. you this, there are so many facets to, um, to COVID that I think kind of run underneath and we just accept them until they bubble up and, and come right up under our nose. Right. And, you know, when Amazon sends out an email saying, we're so sorry, but prime shipping may take actually four days instead of two, I feel like saying, you know, that is all right. Yeah. That, that is all right. Until um, I need a tensioner for my chainsaw. Well, yes, but four days compared to four weeks, you know, is what I'm yeah, saying. There You're right. Things. You're right. I got to settle down. That's, <laughs> that's the problem. <laughs> got to settle down. I've got a couch. I just want my new one. <laughs> <laughs> I got first world problems, man. You do. Well, in this time of COVID, um, Scott and I are going to uh, use today to talk about a piece of listener feedback. And I am going to, with Scott's permission, proffer a thesis that I will explain because I think it, that this piece of listener feedback is a perfect catapult to get in between some cracks, some mortar of the bricks of, of this podcast since we've been going. This is, is this, are we close to our 40th episode? Pretty close. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And I think Scott and I have occasionally addressed this for a few minutes, but I think this is a good time um, in light of the listener feedback to just spend a whole episode talking about it. So let me tell you what I got. After our initial podcast on abortion where we talked about the uh, Jane Roe documentary a mm -hmm. uh, listener contacted Scott and me and said Scott I'm confused about your position because at the end of that episode you will recall listeners that Scott was saying I really feel passionate about persuading people to do the right thing morally rather than trying to use force. And we talked about blowing up abortion clinics and so forth. And this listener kind of asked Scott to nuance that by saying, okay, hold on. How can you not want to, you know, exert your moral influence more provocatively and more forcefully? And I stepped in thinking I was speaking for Scott. And this is, <laughs> this is where it got interesting because I said, I think you'll find what Scott meant was, I love saying what Scott meant. Listeners, you can always ask me uh, that Scott meant when it comes to issues of morality, Scott doesn't believe in using coercion. Like I'm going to try to force you to love your neighbor or force you to to stop lying <laughs> mm -hmm. or to not be greedy. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to issues of non-morality that are mechanisms of the state, Scott's claim um, claims that align with the socialist part of him, they do, they do believe in coercion. And so Scott had some things to say about that. And so number one, I'm going to ask Scott to kind of clarify his position, but it brought me to a place that I'm going to assert a thesis. And Scott, this is where we're going to hit the road. As a libertarian, I have been told for years and years Cole, I don't see how it's possible for you to maintain your Christian views with your libertarian views. And on this program, I have said before, you know, the first thing people say, if I say, well, I, I'm libertarian leaning, they say, how can you not care about sick people? And how can you not want government health care and so forth? And then I have to launch into this explanation of loving people and wanting them to be healthy and to have health care doesn't require the state. There are many ways that you can engage with charity and, and your own resources. And so to me, it is not difficult to reconcile a libertarian viewpoint with a Christian viewpoint. But I'm going to suggest it's easier for me to do that 
than it is for a for a person who embraces socialist tendencies. Uh, I think it's more difficult for you to maintain a position of non-coercion and Christianity. Because to me, the very idea of socialism requires coercion from you, Scott Self, to me, Cole Bennett. Not just you being my fellow brother saying, Cole, stop lying and quit, uh, quit envying and quit being greedy about things, but also for you to wield the power of the state with your vote, with your support, to get to to align yourself with state coercive mechanisms. So I will stop talking and let you answer those questions. First, clarify your answer to our listener. And number two, how do you reconcile your views that you hate coercion with your Christianity? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I want to I want to note that um, coercion is a socially constructed concept. And what I mean by that is, because um, I said in the text, in the texts that we were sharing back and forth, I get to decide for myself what coercion is. That's not really true. Uh, we're we're working that that definition out together, and I think this is where you and I, as uh, language people, can can definitely agree that that is a social construction. And so we're defining it socially and, and that's messy because um, I, I do think there, there becomes this, there, we, we find this point where we're, we're looking for the tripwire or I'm looking for the tripwire between this is coercion. This is not coercion. This is persuasion. This is coercion. So um, let me start by kind of talking about what I mean by coercion and see if I can't kind of unpack it from there. How's that sound? That sounds great. Okay. Coercion happens all the time. Uh, that that can be as direct as a gun to your head. Um, it can be as indirect as uh, social influence. Um, where I'm kind of marking the difference between coercion and persuasion is the difference between um, rhetoric and action. So... In the case of the state, the state has the right to take your money, whether you want for them to or not, right? They have, they have power. They have power of taxation. Uh, the state has power to conscript you to, um, to serve in the military. So coercion, coercion is oftentimes, I think, understood as a, a direct act. And I would like to suggest that what we do in terms of policy is always an act of coercion. That's not, that's not uniquely my point of view. I mean, this is the way we talk about policy is on kind of a continuum of how significantly coercive it is. Uh, so policy and, and, and law are acts of coercion. I coerce people to drive the speed limit by giving them a ticket when they don't, right? Yes. Okay. Got, I'm writing some things down. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but by the way, I just recently got a speeding ticket for the first time in a super long time, and I was really upset about it. I felt like the state was oppressing me. The man was. <laughs> the man is getting me down. Did you invite someone to come see the violence inherent in the system? <laughs> <laughs> you saw it, didn't you? Yeah, you saw it. So, so there is that kind of coercion. I'm separating that from the. Since we're talking about that particular film, I was upset at I forgot his name now. I think his name was Skip. Flip. Flip. Yes. Wasn't it um, Flip? Flip? Flip. Yeah. <laughs> Where he was standing outside of on a ladder outside of the abortion clinic and shaming the women going in. Um, that's not coercion under the definition I'm using. It's bad behavior, but it's not coercion. That's rhetoric. I'm just kind of parsing out the difference between what I believe that what what an act of coercion is as compared to what an act of persuasion is. Gotcha. Is that fair? Have I, I missed anything in, in parsing out the difference between those that you think I need to expand still more? No, I have lots of hot sports opinions that I, I don't agree with you, but I think you have parsed out your position well. Okay, good, good, good. Okay, so so there's that. I don't think that coercion is an option 
for Christianity. In fact, I'm going to make a Galatians 5 argument that coercion is a work of the flesh, uh, that there are works of the Spirit and there are works of the flesh. A coercion is a work of the flesh. And it's fine that the state does it. It's fine that the state has to do it. It's a shame, but it's what happens. Uh, that, that is very different than what I am empowered to do as a disciple, um, that I am empowered to love my neighbor. Tell us about Galatians 5. So Galatians, well, let me tell you about Galatians. Galatians is a, uh, that, it is a question about policy in the church. So the Galatian heresy was that Jews were requiring other Gentiles who were entering into the fellowship uh, of the way to be circumcised as adults. And Paul begins that letter by saying, I am surprised that you have so quickly forgotten the gospel uh, that you received. And he makes an argument all the way through chapters one through five that circumcision should not be required of Gentiles. And he does this really remarkable play on words uh, because circumcision is an, uh, involves the flesh. And so then he begins to use kind of the language of what is, what is flesh and why are we worried about things about the flesh? And, he, and that's where he comes into this idea of factions and dissension, and these are all works of the flesh. These are all things that we think about when we think about flesh. And instead, he suggests to the, um, to the Galatian church, he doesn't suggest, he demands that the church focus upon the works of the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, and there's some discussion grammatically about what Paul does when he says the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit there is singular, not plural. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love. And I think one of the more compelling interpretations of that is the fruit of the Spirit, fruit singular of the Spirit, is love. And then parenthetically, he defines love by joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. That these are all elements of what it means to live in agape. Okay. Uh, and so Paul is saying to the church, you don't get to have coercive policy. You don't get to have policy that focuses upon the flesh. You get to love one another. And part of the reason I know Paul is saying this is because, A, I think it's pretty clear, but B, in <laughs> chapter 6... And I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before. In chapter 6, he then says, if a brother is in error, for five chapters he said, the brother's not in error. But now, let's just pretend like this, that the brothers who were not circumcised were in error. You must restore them gently, lest you yourselves fall into temptation. And so um, I, think, I think Paul is suggesting that Christians— don't have the same tools at their disposal that the world has. The world has its problems, it has its issues, it has its focus, it has its conversations, it has its forms of coercion, it has its factions, it has its races, it has its separations. The world has what it has. You don't have those things. The fruit that you produce is the fruit of agape, and you produce that all the time. Even if somebody is in error, you produce that fruit. So that's why I'm comfortable with the state in my own worldview. I'm comfortable with the state coercing people to do things because the state is a function of the flesh. Uh, but if we're going to talk about what Jesus wants, then we're actually talking about issues of persuasion. And that persuasion hap needs to happen within this definition of agape. Um, Except that's, why, that's why Flip's thing doesn't work for me, by the way, because it's not agape to shame people. It's agape to love people. Okay, but then I'm confused because you embrace the state mechanisms which take my property away from me. What do you mean by embrace? You vote for them, you laud yes. them, you say they are good. Well, that's because it doesn't matter what my position is, coercion is happening in the world around us, and I only have two options. I only have the option to say, that's the world's problem, too bad, and go pray, or 
um, to recognize that there is coercion happening, and when it comes to the world, we interact with the world as the world is, and then, um, but then my responsibility to my neighbor is defined by Christ. Then why can't you say the world is as it is and go pray and vote for people who vote for or who support fewer mechanisms to take away? Oh, no, 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 no. You don't get away with that with me because those those fewer forms of coercion only replace one form of coercion with another form. Now, listen, uh, I am not willing to um, agree that your point of view, that your perspective is absent of coercion. It is not. You accept that coercion happens without human agency, that it only happens by the will of the market, the free hand of the market, the invisible hand of the market, that it is amoral. And I don't think that's true. Well, first of all, for listeners, the invisible hand is not a, a, a mechanism of coercion. That is not what Adam Smith means by this. No, I'm saying it is. I'm saying you, you, you believe that it's not, but I disagree. I believe it is a form of coercion. Okay, it's just a, it's just one that you're willing to accept. So I think, I think I'm seeing some breaking in the clouds as far as my understanding your position. Uh, your, your, you believe that there is some worldly necessity for government coercion because the market is coercive and finally and okay so (laughs) if i can somehow convince you that the market is not coercive will you stop voting for leftists no uh (laughs) well i mean yeah yeah you could yeah the the answer is yes but i'm not no you can't do that all right um and and here's why i look wealth is power you wish that it wasn't, but it is. And so I, you're never going to get me there. If you were able to get me there, yes. Well, wealth is power is a complicated statement. Um, I've said before, I think what you mean, Scott, is that people who are rich have more sway with your government representatives than people who are poor. No, that's not all I mean. And let me just finish by saying, if that's the case, your problem is not with the rich people. It's with your crooked government representatives. Yeah. See, I think that's uh, I think that's cute, but it doesn't really address the millennial issue of wealth. It's not merely a question of whether. <laughs> See, I think you free market capitalists have 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 convinced yourselves that the Constitution the United States Constitution is in its in and of itself a work of genius because it figured out how to let the markets be the markets and control the state. And I think that this Constitution fails. I think it's brilliant insofar as it provides checks and balances within the within the uh, the context of um, state power, but that they fail to recognize the force of market power, market coercion. Okay, so let me address some of your terminology here because I find I'm very interested as a person who studies rhetoric in your language. Okay. I think you're onto something in some places and you're wrongheaded in others, so let's talk about it. So you're you are drawing a distinction between coercion and persuasion in that you are saying persuasion is a lesser form of force than coercion, which is a greater form of force. Right. I'm saying, yeah, persuasion exists within speech. Okay. And coercion exists when, as Pink Floyd says, there's standard issue kicking down your door. Yeah. The um, jack boot coming to get you. Mm-hmm. Okay. At some level, at some level. Now, now understand that that is a continuum, right? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. And, and I do, and I don't think that, I don't think that we only speak. I think Christians speak in our actions as well. I mean, if I'm, you know, if I, if I pull off the side of the road to help my, to help somebody who had a flat tire change their tire, uh, that is an act of agape and I probably should do it. It doesn't, it's, it's not just the words that come out of my sure. mouth. Sure. And, right. and okay. in rhetoric studies, we talk about the, the rhetoric of clothing and the rhetoric of food and the rhetoric sure. of, of yeah. all this stuff. Okay. Yeah. 
so action can well everything is rhetorical we believe but you're saying action can make an argument and i agree so i want to talk about something that's really funny there was an ad this was a a point of study in rhetoric studies in the 90s and i man i don't have it i've never been able to find it again but i've seen this advertisement that came out in a magazine and i'm pretty sure it was massachusetts but i can't it was somewhere in new england there was a magazine ad consisting of two columns, full-page columns. And at the top, it said, how to get rich. And in the left column was all this single-space text, okay, that, said th- that started with, be born into a healthy, rich family, uh, go to the appropriate kin- pre-kindergarten, get into a private kindergarten, um, accomplish everything in order to be able to get into a private elementary school. And it went all the way down about private schools, taking pony lessons, getting all the thing, getting the right diet of fresh fruits and vegetables, getting into a college, scoring great on tests, making the right connections through cl- civic clubs, all the things you can imagine and then getting landing a an entry level job that that allows for immediate quick promotion never getting sick saving your money all this stuff all this was what the text side had on the right column it had a huge arrow that went from the top where it says how to get rich to the bottom of the column and said play lottery And the reason that that was such an interesting point of study in rhetoric studies was because it was banned by the state because of, quote, it was too persuasive. (laughs) They were afraid that the lines between persuasion and coercion were so thin and blurry that people would not be able to critically examine that advertisement in front of them and make a decision that was based on appropriate measures and think that playing lottery was the same as going to school or whatever. It was quote unquote too persuasive. So I think the terms persuasion and coercion are mixed up quite a bit and they are used by the left, I would argue, as weapons by saying this person that is in our gallery today as I'm making my speech did not have a choice. He or she was faced with this choice and what what else could she have done? What else could he have done besides let his insurance lapse in, in order to buy this for his family or whatever? Because the language of the insurance policy was coercive or the salesman was coercive or life was too mm-hmm. coercive. And I want to say to that, bull hockey. Okay. I'm not me, done. I'm not done. And so- Let I, me give you another example. I, okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, I'm giving you an example of where you're talking about, because you and I had this conversation, not on the podcast, but in in Messenger. Did I say bull hockey then? No, no. <laughs> Do you remember? I sent you the story of, there was a kid in Las Vegas- who told a homeless man that he'd give him 20 bucks if the homeless man did a backflip. Yes. And yes. The, homeless man, the homeless man tried on three different occasions to do a black backflip, and on the third occasion, he broke his neck, and the kid walked away. And I said, I'm trying to figure out. I, it, was not a, it was not like, look at this story. Isn't that terrible? Look how, look how terrible capitalism is. That's not what my point was. My point was, I'm trying to figure out here, this is wrong. It's morally wrong, but it's not legally wrong, right? I'm asking a free market person. Do you, if, if I agree to try and do backflips for 20 bucks because I'd like a warm place to sleep tonight, that's a terrible story and, and maybe even immoral from your point of view, but not necessarily illegal. And, Correct. And so, so this is this is an example of a place where I think you do a very uh, careful job of articulating the difference between coercion because that was not coercive; it merely 
uh, was a question of whether you want to try and do a backflip and accept the risks that go with that for a uh, for a price. It might be a sad story, but that's not necessarily coercive. Correct. And that's the same warrant that underlies the laws on the books now that say you cannot sell a kidney because you could they're afraid. The lawmakers are afraid that a person could be so uh, in such a financial position that selling a kidney no longer becomes a choice, but becomes coercive. Right. And, And free marketers take great umbrage at that, because unless a person does not have mental faculties and that's something that you would have to argue, you know, um, then a person can decide should be able to decide to sell a kidney or not. So I think the left uses the term coercive f- uh, far more often than it should and incorrectly. And Scott, I would even challenge you, see what you think about this. Since we're talking about Paul and his letters, in Romans 14, when he says, you know, if you guys have problems, as you have said to me, Scott, from the the uh, paraphrase, go into a room and figure it out. Mm-hmm. Right. I wonder how much people would look at that and say, all that's happening in that room is persuasion versus the person who is facing getting thrown out of the church or who is, who has the unpopular opinion and risks losing membership in, in this society that's forming the new Testament church to w- I wonder if you would be satisfied that all that's happening is persuasion and not coercion. I, I think it's difficult for you to call too many things coercion or else the line gets blurry. Yeah, and also persuasion in is, is in and of itself not necessarily a good. But you're saying it's all that Christians have access should have access to, right? That, that If we're going to use something, we cannot use coercion. We can only use persuasion. Right. Yeah, I think I think the cross is the ultimate act, the ultimate rhetorical act of persuasion. Um, I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you in spite of what you do to me. I'm going to offer you salvation through this act of violence. That is the ultimate act of persuasion. But persuasion is is not in and of itself. I mean, I can persuade you to give me all your money. That's not necessarily uh, helping anybody. So I I think. Christians have may use persuasion, and that persuasion needs to be with agape, not necessarily for self-interest, right? So I could persuade somebody to do something for my self-interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just because it's persuasive doesn't mean it's good. I think, I think what I'm trying to define here is a limit, and maybe I need to define those delimiters even more explicitly, that we're delimited um, by persuasion. We're delimited by agape. We're delimited by a self-sacrificing love. That's not easy. I mean, so Romans fourteen, you bring it up. Uh, this this happens a lot of times in in um, in church contexts where uh, someone says something stupid, like you know, you need to give on this because you need to be sacrificing, which is really a fancy way of saying I should get what I want, right? Call mm-hmm. me. This is, this is my favorite one. Is when the when somebody says, "Call me the weaker brother," but this is really important to me. <laughs> I have not heard that, me. but it's funny. Oh my goodness, I have <laughs> in men's business meetings. I have heard, "Call me the weaker brother," but which is it's it, it's shameful. So, oh, so I'm kind of hinting at something that maybe some of our listeners don't recognize. So the, the call me the weaker brother uh, the, the, in Romans 14 says, you know, some of you eat meat, some of you don't eat meat. Well, uh, for those of, uh, for the weaker brother who uh, has problems with eating meat, maybe the rest of us could just not eat meat. Right. And so then uh, call me the weaker brother is the argument of, well, I have a problem with this. And apparently you could go either way. So we have to go my way. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, okay, so let me try to land this a little bit so our listeners who aren't getting bored, okay? You and I are members of the way. We are members of the New Testament Christian church. And you look out and see in the world there is market activity that you feel is causing an imbalance of power in the world. How do you arrive at the response? What needs to happen is 
coercion in order to make an even playing field. And I am comfortable with it. And I'm comfortable if other members of the way are affected negatively by it. Well, there's always two things with me. That's not my phrase. That's somebody else's phrase, but I really like it. <laughs> Let me set reconcile to the side because I, I want to talk about reconciling uh, and I want to kind of deal with that for, for both of our points of view because I'm going to okay. try and talk you out of this idea of reconciling anything. Okay. So let me set that to the side for just a second uh, and say that I do, I do think that there is a dilemma. Oh, okay. Everybody on the pod that listens to this podcast already knows that I'm pretty, uh, at least ethically, a pretty stark pacifist. I like to say I'm, um, I'm a violent pacifist. <laughs> a rabid, a rabid, rabid, pa- <laughs> a rabid pacifist. There is a dilemma, and the dilemma is if somebody is is punching coal and beating him to an inch of his uh, of his death, and I stand by, um, you know, sucking on a popsicle because I'm a pacifist. Sorry, Cole. That's not being a pacifist. That's permitting violence because I failed to act in protective ways. Uh, so uh, there is a point at which pacifism becomes an uh, participate uh, becomes an act of participation, right? Hmm. You see that dilemma? I do see the dilemma. I'm interested in your and in, in how you're talking about it. Okay, so uh, I can say I'm all about non coercion. Uh, and I'm just not going to involve myself in it at all because that's uh, that's icky, and I'm I'm covered in the spirit, and I don't do icky things. But at the in that instance, then uh, individuals are left to acts of coercion. I believe that they're coerced by market forces, and so that sue me. That's what I believe. Actually, suing me would be a an act of market <laughs> coercion, but <laughs> but uh, uh, anyways, I, it's happening, and so I do I do find myself at this place of a dilemma as I come as a participant in the state. How do I participate in the state in ethical ways that I don't call moral ways? I don't call them virtue driven ways. I don't call them. This is why I keep saying to you, I am demanding that you pay for the uh, for healthcare for everyone, not because I think Jesus requires it, because the Jesus part of this is is not is not in the room. But uh, and that's why I am uncomfortable bringing uh, religious warrants into my political arguments. But that doesn't mean that uh, political arguments don't need to happen. In fact. I'm very, I'm very interested in making sure that individuals are protected from forms of power, and I, I get it. You think that that um, is that it's harmful. I, th- I think you've defined harm broadly, but it's harmful for me to take away your property, or at least a portion of your property, or for the state to do so, and for me to have voted for people um, uh, in the state to have done so. You know, the socialist libertarian part of me or the my approach to what we need to be doing in the public square is really about mitigating forms of power, controlling power, checks and balances. And I love the Constitution for having done that within the context of the state. I just feel like that the Constitution failed to recognize that that should also happen in other contexts, not just the state, but the market and also the majority. You, on the other hand, I think believe that letting the market do its work is not coercion at all and therefore is least coercive. Am I right? Yes. And people who listen to my monologue essay a few Mm -hmm. episodes ago will will hear that argument. That's right. Yeah. Which we need a whole nother podcast on. Well, let let me (laughs) let me address some of the things you've just said. Okay. To quote Scott Self in something you had um, emailed to me, you, I appreciate the Constitution, Scott says. It was designed to hold powers of the state in check against one another. I just happen to believe that they did not, the founders, did not fully appreciate the power of capital and the power of majority. 
<laughs> this is what I want to argue with you about, because I think they absolutely did. We are not a democracy, contra what AOC and the, the, the squad, contra what they continue saying, we are not a democracy. You don't merely need to get enough people together to vote for something to happen to have it happen on the, uh, legally. So when people stand up and they swear allegiance to the Constitution of the United States, many of them immediately start violating that promise. Because the Constitution, for example, even if the entire nation said, we think we should be able to buy and sell babies. We think we should be able to buy and sell slaves. We think we should be able to do all these things, even if everyone said it. The Constitution says, sorry, you can't do it. And there are mechanisms that have put these things in place because it is a check on the majority. And the way that influential laws or representative lawmaking happens is people um, address their uh, wishes and grievances to their representatives. And if those representatives are being purchased, that is against the Constitution, and they should be, at the minimum, fired and at the maximum put in jail. But so, whom are they fired or put in jail by? By the executive branch. By the Jude You cannot be a crooked senator and, and, and never be held accountable for it. There are, there yes, are you checks. Can. No, you can't. There are checks and balances. If you are proven to be crooked, Scott, you cannot just go home and call it a day. It happens all the time. That's well, my argument. If it happens all the time, then it, has, it it is happening by other crooked mechanisms because it's it is not. And that I, on top of all this, is my other argument, which is we are at such a place of Maslow's hierarchy that a lot of people aren't paying attention to what their government is doing. Hmm. And and we, there are, um, according to the IRS, 47% of the people who filed income taxes pay nothing. So it is not in their best interest to continue paying attention or to pay close attention. They just continue going to their representatives and saying, I want these things that cause wealth redistribution. And I know we've had that talk before about how it's not all those people. Uh, they're not all leftists. And I agree with you on that. But my overall point is there are laws in place to hold criminally responsible representatives who are bending the representative strictures of government by taking bribes and corruption and collusion. That is not something that is allowed unless it is allowed by other crooked people. So I, I don't think that, I don't think you can say that um, as if it is the coin of the realm. I think, I think what confuses me about what you've just said is you seem to believe that the constitution is some stopgap. The constitution is only enforced through the mechanisms that it creates. Yes. So if the mechanisms that it creates do not enforce it, it doesn't exist. Correct. And I, I so 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 that's why we need to have attorneys general who do the right thing. Well, yeah, it'd be nice if everybody did the right thing. Yeah, and not and not um, coercion is the part that's supposed to keep people doing the right thing. That's right. And th see, that's why I think. As of a few episodes ago, when I said, I am not afraid of quote unquote fake news. I think what's happening right now is that sunlight is being poured on all kinds of activity that was not being poured on 20 years ago. Mm. When Eric Holder sent all the Fast and Furious guns to do what he was trying to do and it backfired. I don't mean to make a pun about backfire, but when that when that plan went awry, it's only because of the prevalence of access to information that we know all these really bad ideas that are being manifested. So I think right now people are really um, distressed right now in our country about things that are going on. And I am too, to some degree. But on the other hand, I'm thrilled that light is being poured on bad actors and bad actions 
because we are able to ferret out for the first time, I think, in in perhaps in American history, ferret out a lot of the smaller things that are the very problems you are that give you heartburn about corruption and people not doing what they're supposed to do. My point is, I don't think the problem is the Constitution and the problem uh, is not the way the country is set up. I think it's poor and and corrupted enforcement. Yeah, I, look, I think the reason the Constitution, I think the Constitution is self-limiting um, in that it provides for its interpretation by the Supreme Court, which is a political act, a, a political actor. It does not present itself as an, an immutable force. It presents itself as a document that ideally creates checks and balances, right. creates chaos, but it's a controlled form of chaos. Mm-hmm. Can we move on to, can you at least tell me, I realize you can espouse lots of uh, ideas on this, but. Right. Cause we're, cause we're off, we're off topic now. We, we are. And I want to get back to you look out in the world and see problems of power and, and problems of imbalances of power caused by the market. And I want you to at least treat that for a minute or two, because what problem is there if people are very, if a person is very successful in the market, um, if that person doesn't, well, what problem is there? Let's just, let me just stop there. Well, uh, do you want me to answer or do you want me to have Jesus answer? I think it's pretty clear in the New Testament that wealth is a problem. No, it's a potential. It's a the significantly love princi- the hmm? love for wealth is a problem. Jesus does not make that distinction uh, when he talks about the wealthy having a harder time getting into heaven. No, but it comes at than, the end than, of what story? But my point is, my point is, it's very clear that wealth is something to be very, very carefully evaluated in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. Okay. That doesn't mean that all wealthy people are bad. There are wealthy actors in the story of Acts who do wonderful things for the church. Um, So I don't mean to say wealth equals bad. I mean to say wealth equals dangerous. Um, But that's the same thing as with anything else. I mean, it's a wealth is a chainsaw and you can make a, beautiful ice sculptures, or you can go a different direction uh, with a chainsaw. And, and it's the same, same with wealth. I think it provides a real opportunity for temptation, a real opportunity for oppression, a real opportunity for, um, uh, for coercion, that it provides a real opportunity. And I'd like to see it held in check. Uh, but being held in check is not because Jesus said, wealth is bad, but because I think it is a form of power that needs to be uh, carefully evaluated. Uh, so there's that. And, I, and I, I'm also, again, I think this is a millennial issue. It's not merely, when I say millennial, I mean, this is for human history been an issue, a question of whether the wealthy have more power and more access to power than the poor. And you can say, yeah, but we have a constitution. Well, unless that constitution is enforced, the wealthy have more power than the people who don't have wealth. And that's always been the case. It always will be the case. Um, And I'll give you an example of what I mean. In what universe does the constitution provide protection for corporations as individual people? There is no way to read the constitution that way. Nonetheless, corporations have the right to declare bankruptcy as an individual has. And that's something that the Supreme Court has decided. You know what? It covers corporations as individuals. So that's the way it is. It's not right, but that's the way it is. And it's the way it is because the wealthy wanted it that way. That assumes that the people who are wealthy purchased the votes of the lawmakers. I'm saying they did. Now, well, I would be interested <laughs> in your proof of that and evidence because we could take people to jail if that's true. 
You only get to take people to jail if the people in power decide to put them in jail. Look, we're going through this right now. I mean, I, this is a political statement, so let me just put it out there that I've got a point of view. You're fine. But this fine. is what's <laughs> going on right now, that our attorney general fails to enforce the law on people who need the need to have the law enforced upon them because they as, they ascribe to his political perspective or to the uh, – yeah, I'm saying political because it's, I'm not – I don't think it's policy-driven. I think it's power-driven. They're the friends of his employer. It's – Cole, if you believe that this stuff is uh, that the Constitution prevents this, then I think that's where I that's where I accuse you of being Pollyannish. The the Constitution doesn't prevent anything. It only works when we when we make it work. And the yes. only option we have is to vote somebody out of office. Right. And God knows I'm really interested in doing that right now. But let me come back to your question, because I think you're asking me, how can I do that? How can I use my vote that way when I'm when I believe that coercion is not a tool for Christians? Isn't that the first question that you ask me? Yes. How and can you use yeah, this? How can you use the cudgel of the state against me personally whenever you don't believe in coercion? Right. Oh, and I said what I said was I don't believe that coercion is a tool of the church. Got it. Yeah. So I don't believe that. But but right. the other thing I the other thing I want to that I want to uh, I think call you to is this deeper question of whether this is dualism. I think you used the word Gnosticism, but I I think you mean dualism. Whether this is a form of dualism, or in your your view of your own perspective that you've got these reconciled and so they work together they integrate that your faith and your political point of view are integrated cuz right. that's how that's how you see it right mine's in conflict and yours is integrated right and i use gnostic because you used um coercion is a work of the flesh so i was thinking you were trying oh. to say this is about the body and what i'm doing is about the mind i thought i thought you were are about the soul that's why I was trying to. But yeah, I do think it's dualistic. And okay. Dualism was one of the heresies of Gnosticism. So okay. I think they're not. Yeah, uh, I don't think it's Gnostic, but it is dualist to some degree. Except that, and this is why I'm not a Gnostic. Except that I am very comfortable with the conflict. I am very comfortable with uh, with living in unreconciled conflict your view that you have a a system that works between your faith and your politics is something I'd like to talk you out of. I don't think it works, and I don't think you should be comfortable in believing that it works. I think you should be comfortable with the conflict. I think you should embrace the conflict. This this idea that we reconcile things so that they all make sense scares the snot out of me. I need to respond, but I don't want to interrupt you. Go ahead. Hit respond. Okay. My response is not that I see it all working. I see um, everything you said about how having laws on the books doesn't mean that it's working. And I look out and I see things not working. I, I the way you look and see our current attorney general William Barr not doing his thing is how I watched Eric Holder do his whole job. Sure, and yeah, and before that, and before, and I'll that, even accept that. that. I'll even accept the accusation. Yeah, go ahead. Yes, and so I look out and see that the system that is in place is a worldly system in which I do not put my faith. My faith. This world is not my home. The kingdom of heaven is perfect. The United States is not. But when I decide I need to reach to try to grab this or that mechanism by which to try to make things work in harmony for both the United States and my faith, the one the lever I reach for is the classical liberal level uh, lever the libertarian lever that puts liberty first. And I'm saying the one you reach for is the one that impedes my liberty and others like me in ways that confuse me. 
Yeah. And this ultimately gets down to something I respect about your point of view, which is that liberty is in and of itself a virtue. It, yes. And I, you say yeah. that, and I, it's right. That is correct. I, I see it as both a virtue. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. Okay. But, and a tool. Yeah. And a tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, but this is this not merely, this is the thing I respect about how you hold those intentions. And I don't try to talk you out of I don't try. I don't try to talk you into believing in conflict. I see your conflict. And I'm comfortable with it. I get it. I get where you're coming from. That liberty is in and of itself. That Jesus said, "I come to set you free." And freedom is a is a virtue. It's something that He wants for us, and that you want it for your neighbor. And that manifestation is, you know, uh, reduced coercion by the state. I get it. I get it. Uh, I don't think it works, but I get why. Um, and don't lose sight of the fact that part of my belief in that is, Scott, I can be the best Christian the freer I am. Yeah, I don't like that statement. Oh. I, I, that's the one I always want to talk you out of. You don't have to be in a condition, in any condition, to enjoy the full manifestation of God's virtues. Yes, but wouldn't you say that I am in more of a position to help my neighbor who doesn't have money for medicine and doesn't have money to get to the doctors and doesn't have money? I'm in a better position to help my neighbor when I have more of the money I earn? No, Cole, that is not what I would say. That is what you would say. <laughs> how can you? How can that not be what you would say? Um, well, I, <laughs> listen, I think... <laughs> I think the disciples had similar questions for Jesus. Not that I'm Jesus. (laughs) You're putting yourself in Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, no. Look, when 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 that woman pours when when the when the woman pours her perfume on the feet of Jesus, his disciples have a very pragmatic question, which is, you know, this money could be used for the poor. And Jesus is not impressed by that argument. And I'm just saying, I'm not either. Okay. All right. <laughs> no, no, I, that's, that's, uh, that's being, I'm being cute. Um, I think it's, I think it does represent a, a, a place of conflict and a, and a, it is unreconcilable, but I am comfortable with living in this soup of unreconciliation, non-reconciliation. The mishmash. Well, until, until the return of Christ. Right. But I think that's Pauline, that Paul sees what we're going through, what our life is. And this is this is more a, a Romans 8 argument, but Paul sees our condition and the world that we live in as this unreconciled soup that creation itself is longing for the reconciliation of God. Mm-hmm. Um, I do long for it, but I don't expect it. I don't expect it until Christ returns because there's no way to get it. There's no way to be in the state and not be at some level a participant in the violence.